which is you in our midst. And we pray that you speak to each one of us, not only to our minds, but to our inner core, so that we may be more faithful to you as we follow you, Lord. Amen. This morning we have the reading of scripture by our guest speaker, and I need very few introductions because he's a local guy. Um, I had all these things in mind to pick him up at the airport and to host him and dinners and all this, but I forgot this guy is from home. He's home. He's home, just like I am. So um, he is working at our Presbyterian Mission Agency as the evangelism coordinator. I met Ray some five years ago as I was beginning my, uh, my ministry in a church, and then as I began uh, regional uh, executive Presbyterian South Florida, uh, I had a competition. I wanted to be the, the presbytery that took more people to that ECG conference. And I think we did with 23 one, that one time, 23. We had two tables. And we were the presbytery with most uh, presence there, even more than Tampa Bay, even though they were uh, hosting us. And it was a little pride of me, you know. But uh, we got back to South Florida, and the pastors that went, went to their churches, and I went home in my office. And that was a sense of frustration because all the stuff that I learned and I really enjoyed through, through David Lee Long and all the other ones, Philip Lustig and, and Anne Philbrick, they're wonderful people really concerned and working for the, for the betterment of the church of Christ in our, in our denomination. But Ray stood up, skinny and thin, you know. And his words were amazing words of transformation for our ministry in South Florida. Uh, but that's when I figured out that my heart was in the local church. And I began to look for a place. And I didn't want to come to Georgia. <laughs> they know the joke. I'm home. And we thank the Lord for that. Without any more further ado, may I please introduce you to the Reverend Ray Jones, please. It is um, wonderful to, to be back here with you. Um, I've been in Louisville, Kentucky um, for the past um, about four, a little over four years, and working in the Office of Evangelism, which actually includes youth ministry, collegiate ministry, camps and conferences, and now military chaplains. So, um, so that's kind of what we cover in the Office of Evangelism. And um, it's a privilege to be here, and um, it's hard for me to believe, but next summer... July of 2014, I will have been in the ordained ministry in the Presbyterian Church USA for 30 years. 30 years. And um, I've been kind of processing my ministry lately. And um, in 30 years, this is what I've come up with. That ministry is um, meaningless without Jesus. That Jesus is the core of what it means to be in ministry together. So, um, so I'm glad to be here with you to share over the next few nights, but to share here in worship. Um, I don't come as an expert, but I come as one um, who continues to grow and learn and um, who continues to grow in my passion for what God is doing in our Lord Jesus. So, um, so let's um, turn to, it's a, it's a familiar passage of scripture, and it's out of the book of Acts, and it's at the very beginning, and I'm going to just read the first eight 
verses. So um, let us um, listen to God's word together. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a tendency to to get sidetracked in my life and um, in my ministry. And, and sometimes throughout my ministry, I've, I've had this notion that my main job was the visitation of people in their homes and in the hospital. And now that is a good thing. A pastor should be in people's homes and should be making visits to the hospital. But what I've realized um, this far into my ministry is that that is not the main job. Now, there have been times in my ministry in which I thought that putting together reformed, responsible, celebratory worship was my main job. And now that is a wonderful thing and a good thing to be able to be part of a team that puts together reformed, responsible, and celebratory worship. But that's not the main Job. Now, there were times in my ministry that I thought that the main job was um, but being around Scripture and digging into Scripture together and even digging into Scripture um, personally. But as important as being in Scripture is, it's not the main job. And now sometimes when we look at our lives... We have this tendency of thinking, well, my main job is that I'm a banker. Yeah, I go to church. I'm part of a small group I serve. But my main job is I'm a banker. Or we have this tendency to think, well, yeah, I'm in church on Sundays for the most part. Sometimes I go on Wednesday nights and um, I'm a part of Presbyterian women. But my main job is I'm a teacher. Or, yeah, I do some things around the church, Um, I go to Sunday school, um, but, well, my main job is I'm retired. I've earned my retirement, and I'm retired. 
we've got a main job, y'all. And we don't have long this morning to talk about it. But when we look at this piece of scripture, we encounter our main job. But the other thing we encounter is people like us, the disciples, who also missed the point. Now, if we look at John's gospel, we see that the resurrected Jesus had been with them for about six weeks before he ascended into heaven. Now, think about this for a minute. If the resurrected Jesus, I mean, deader than a doornail on Friday, but then on Sunday, alive and walking around, and for six weeks, eating with him, walking with him, being taught by him, in fellowship with him, you would think that you would get the main point, right? The main job, right? But the end of John's gospel records this, that Peter had done what? He'd gone back to fishing. He thought that was the main job. They ask a question, and the question reveals that they don't quite get it. And the question was this. Okay, now, Lord, okay, this has been great kind of being with you, and it's really great that you are alive and death didn't hold you captive, but when are you going to get about your real business which is to restore the kingdom to Israel. Now this is what they thought. They thought that at some point Jesus was going to be a warrior king like David and bring back proper worship to the temple and kick out the occupiers called Rome. See, this is what happens so often in our life together. We miss our main job. We have a tendency to think someone else is going to do it, right? So Jesus, when are you going to do this? Evangelism, sharing faith, um, that's not for me, right? That's for the evangelism committee of the church. Justice, ending racism on the planet, that's not for me. That's for the people in the social witness committee of the church. We've got this tendency to think that someone else is going to do it. Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When are you going to be about this? The other thing that's revealed is they miss their main job is that they have settled for a small vision for their life together. When are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? That's important, but it's small. What they don't realize is that the mission is about the transformation of the entire world. And Jesus says this, you're going to have to wait on the power of the Holy Spirit. Y'all tracking with me so far? You're going to have to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. You will be about your main job. No one else is going to do what only you can do. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be about being witnesses. 
Now, this mission is about the transformation of all of creation. It's about the transformation of the whole world. It's about the transformation of every person alive, every person that lived or ever will live. But it begins with your witness, your witness to what has changed your life from the inside out. That's what you're going to do when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You're going to bear witness to the fact that before I met Jesus, I was addicted and bound. But in a relationship with him, I am free. Now, before I met Jesus, because I had no daddy, and I had a daddy that wasn't a good daddy, I didn't think I could ever be a daddy to my children. But because of what God has done in Jesus and the life I found in him and the forgiveness, I am actually a daddy and a pretty decent daddy to my children. That's my witness. Are you all tracking with me? When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to bear witness to what has slap changed your life. That's your main job. And here's what Jesus says about the main job. I'm still trying to pay attention to this, y'all. And I'm 56 years old. He says, you're going to bear witness in Jerusalem. And in Judea. And in Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. Now, we could really go deeply into all four of these places. But we'd still be, we'd still be here. (laughs) When we're supposed to get back together at 630. So I want to take a quick Quick run through this. You're to bear witness to what's changed your life in Jerusalem. And that means to the people that are closest to you, to your family and to your best friends. You're to be in relationship with them authentically so that you're bearing witness to what's changed your life. I grew up in a crazy, crazy household. Um, And God has been at work in my life, and I have come to know Jesus better and better each and every day. But because of the crazy household that I grew up in and my sister grew up in, she has tried to run as far away from God as she possibly could. And so she is my Jerusalem. And so I am called to bear witness to her about what has changed my life, to pray for her and to reach out to her and to share with her the unconditional love of God. No, it's, it's, it's not like that, Jackie. That's how we grew up, but that's not the face of God in Jesus. And for over 20 years, I've been praying for my sister because she's in my Jerusalem. Because what she still kind of believes, y'all, is that money is going to set her free. Anybody still thinking that? If I just get enough money, I'll be free. She's still on that journey. But slowly but surely is beginning to see that the only person who can set her free is the one who paid a price for her, Jesus. You've got people in your Jerusalem, I know. That you're not called to fuss with or fight with, but you're called to pray for and be with and share about what's changed your life. 
And then he says in Judea, we're to bear witness to the people who look like us, talk like us, think like us, act like us, vote like us. You know the people. They're in your life and they're in my life each and every day. And we're to authentically bear witness to these people who don't know God's love in Jesus. Or maybe they're just on the fence about who Jesus is. We're called through our lives to bear witness to them about what's changed us. And to think of ways to, to include them into our lives and to pray for them. One of the things that, that I've been doing is um, I keep a journal. And in my journal, um, I have prayers at the back. So I'll have a list of people I'm praying for. And so there are people in my Judea that I walk with every day that I'm praying for every day that I will have the opportunity to speak into their life in some meaningful way or someone else will have the opportunity to speak into their lives. I remember when I was serving at Macklin, some of the good things that happened were around a backpacking ministry that the men were a part of. And one of the things we started doing since it was so meaningful to us, we started inviting our unchurched friends into this backpacking experience and can't really go into detail, but we'd be gone from Friday through Sunday and on Friday and Saturday nights, we'd be around a campfire sharing and praying and looking at scripture. And we started inviting men who didn't know the love of God in Jesus. And, and one of those men, Mike, um, because of those men and because of them going to Bible studies and worship actually gave his life to Christ. And I had the privilege of baptizing him but he was in our Judea and he was just simply invited into an activity that we enjoyed. And through that enjoyment, he was able to see Jesus in the lives of other people. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? So what does it look like to bear witness to the people in our Judea? Y'all, this next one I wish Jesus had left out. Y'all tracking with me? Trying to wind up? I wish he'd left out. He says we're to bear witness in Samaria. Now, Samaritans are the people we don't like. I mean, Jews considered Samaritans half-breeds. Um, they, they, they didn't think that they worshipped well. They worshipped in the wrong place. Um, they actually intermarried when they were in the exile. And so um, Jews actually despised Samaritans. Didn't want to have anything to do with them. And a good Jewish person, if that person was going from Judea to Galilee, would not take the shortest way, which was to go right through Samaria. They would go around Samaria because they didn't want to come in contact with those people that they despised who weren't like them. Are y'all following me? And Jesus says, you're to bear witness to what has changed your life from the inside out to the people that you consider to be Samaritans. And I'm just going to throw this out as an example. I don't know if it'll help, but I'm throwing it out. And I'm just thinking about our culture today and how we're at odds with one another. And what would it look like? Just think with me for a minute. If Christians who get their news from Fox News did not run down, make fun of people who get their news from MSNBC, did not say, I wish we were rid of them, our planet would be better without them. But what if instead, 
we simply would bear witness to what has changed our lives from the inside out. I was once addicted and now I'm free. I didn't think I could be a daddy, but now I am a daddy. I at one point had no hope and now I have hope every day because of Jesus. And then vice versa. What if Christians who get their news from MSNBC didn't poke fun at People who get their news from Fox didn't make fun of them, didn't run them down, but actually would bear witness to people not like you, not like me, about what God has done to change your life, to change my life. Are you following me? To bear witness. That's the main job. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you bear witness to what's changed you, to what's made a difference, to what you cannot live without. And then Jesus says, it goes into the whole world. This transformation is for every person, every tribe, every village, every city on the planet. We got a main job and we can't, we can't give up. I know it was hard getting here. Three churches, three good churches, letting go of buildings to be one church, to reach this part of God's kingdom. And I know you're going to run into some roadblocks. And I know you've already run into some roadblocks, right? But you can't give up because the Holy Spirit's working. Let me just close with a story. Uh, in our second church, Baymanette, Alabama, um, we had some really good friends, Neil and Mary Jo Crosby. Um, Neil and Mary Jo just kind of took us in. There'd be times in church. I know y'all don't know that this kind of stuff happens, but there'd be times in church where there were people that were actually after me, didn't like something I'd said or something like that. And Mary Jo would come over. We'd be talking with her. And sometimes she would say something like this. Now, Ray, you, you had no part of what that. That's just all their fault. Um, boy, and we got to pray for those people. But then sometimes she would say, Ray, you, you really did something stupid there. Um, I've, got a, I've got a real good reason to be angry with you. And so you got to figure out how to get this worked out. I mean, she was just in our lives, and so was Neil. And our youngest daughter was born in Baymanette, Alabama. And our youngest daughter was born with colic. I mean, she, for the first four months of her life, did not sleep. I don't know if any of y'all have ever had a colicky baby, but there were times when we would actually take her down to the emergency room and say, there is something wrong with this baby. And um, could you please fix this baby or give us another baby? We, we never really said that, but that's what we were thinking. Either fix this baby or send us home with a baby that's going to sleep. And so 
during this time, Mary, and they would always say, there's nothing wrong with this baby. This baby just has colic and the baby will grow out of it. And we were just thinking, we're not going to make it. But Mary Jo would come over and Mary's just crying to beat the band. And she'd come over and she'd say to Judy, um, Judy, do you mind if I, I kind of take, take Marion? And Judy would go, just yes, take her. And, um, please take her. And, um, we, and she always hated seeing Mary Jo come back with Marion. And Marion was still crying. Um, but, but they just invested in us and we invested in them. And, and, uh, about a year and a half ago, um, Mary Jo called, um, um, Judy and said, um, Neil and I are fixing to move into Westminster Village. Um, um, a lot like Presbyterian Village, and we're selling our house we've, we've been in, and our girls are coming to get their stuff, and, and Judy, you need to come and um, get your stuff. And so that's just how she treated us, just like family. And she said, in, in my piano, Judy, um, uh, I'm going to give that to Marion because our daughter Marion is a pianist and musician, so that goes to her, but y'all are going to have to come get it. And so, um, long story short, we didn't know how we were going to go get it, but I was doing some work with South Alabama Presbyterian preaching in a church on a Sunday, and I said to Judy, this would be a perfect time to go get it. Why don't you check and see if we can rent a van on a Sunday, and then we'll, if we can, we'll, we'll get that piano and take it to Atlanta to, to Marion. And so Judy found a rental place that was open on Sunday, so we worshipped in Spring Hill Presbyterian, and we went to Daphne, Alabama, and, and got this um, budget rent-a-van, and then we, we traveled about 45 miles up to Baymanette to, to get that um, piano, and as I'm backing, backing into the front yard up to the front porch of Neil and Mary Jo's house to get that piano, I'm feeling good about my skills and thinking, this is going to work, we're going we're gonna to get this piano up to Marion, it's just beautiful, and so I get out, and I open open that back gate and I'm just shocked because there's like four feet between the ground and the and the top of or the beginning of the the bed of that van and and I look in it and it's empty I have forgotten to get the ramp now it was 45 minutes so that place is closed so we got a piano and we have two men and Judy and Mary Jo, and a piano that's got to go up four feet and no ramp. And so I'm thinking, well, it looks like we're just going to leave this piano right here on Mary Jo's front porch. But then one of the men said, um, oh, I got an idea. And so he says, follow me. He starts running towards his yard. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got to run too. So I'm running behind him towards his house. We get into a shed and he's just rifling through stuff. And he finds this metal grate and he says, here, hold this. Then he finds this piece of plywood and he says, no, hold that. And so he takes the grate and I have this sheet of plywood and we start running back to Mary Jo's. I'm struggling with this piece of plywood. It is heavy. So he lays down this metal grate. We put the plywood on top of it and then... Lo and behold, we just roll that piano up, we strap it in, and we take off. I'm feeling pretty good. And so then I start thinking, oh my goodness, Marion's home has steps. How on earth? So I called Judy. And I said, Judy, um, how are we going to get this piano into Marion's home? It's got steps and stuff. And um, we got a problem. And she said, we do have a problem. What are we going to do? So we decided we'd call our friend in Atlanta. And he said, okay, when are you going to be here? I said, it's probably going to be about two and a half, three hours. He said, okay, I'm going to make you some ramps. I said, okay. So he met us there. He had all these ramps set up. Um, 
But before we got there, um, we're probably just outside of Montgomery, maybe in Opelika, and I hear something moving in the back of that van. And so I called Judy, and I said, Judy, um, there's something moving in the van. And she said, well, there's only one thing back there, and that's the piano. And I said, well, I don't want to stop on the side of the road. So we pulled off at a BP, and that thing was loose from those ropes, just back and forth. And I thought about just leaving it there. Just leaving it at that BP because I'd about had enough. It was just almost impossible. But long story short, we got that piano to Atlanta. We got it into Marion's house. And on the way home, Judy said, "Um, you about left that piano at Neil and Mary Jo's, didn't you? I said, yep, I did. She said, but you didn't. I said, no. She said, you about left it at that BP station, didn't you? I said, yeah. I was thinking about just leaving it right there and saying, that's it. She said, but we made it, didn't we? I said, yeah, we did. And she said, you know why? I said, no. Ray, we weren't just moving a piano. We were hauling Mary Jo's love for Marion. And deep down we knew that it was a mission that we could not give up on. We weren't hauling a piano. We were hauling Mary Jo's love for Marion. Now y'all, y'all with me? You've come together, three churches to be one. And you've got a mission. And it is going to be hard at times. Yes, it'll be beautiful, but it's going to be hard But remember, it's a Holy Spirit thing. And remember, you're bearing witness. But what you're really doing is you're hauling the love of God into Powder Springs, Mableton, Austell, and Marietta, and Kennesaw. You're hauling God's love. So don't give up. Don't ever give up. Amen. Never disappointing, right? Let us have a brief word of prayer. Dear God, we thank you for speaking to our hearts. We ask you, Holy Spirit, not to give us peace until we have this word in our hearts, in our minds, to the point that it changes us. Thank you, O God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Amen. Amen.